Hi, I'm Derek Morrison and welcome to another episode of BYO Podcast. It's our annual Secret Santa Christmas episode. Couldn't be more excited. When it comes to wine, there's a lot that we disagree on. But when it comes to 2020, I think we can all agree that this has been a pretty shitty year. So what better way to go out than with some fantastic wines and fantastic people? So we're here at Peckham Cellars in Southeast London, one of the most exciting wine shops and wine bars around. We're gonna crack open some mystery bottles to blind taste with some great people. So pull up a glass and enjoy. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us tonight. Really excited to taste some wines together. Um, I guess for everyone listening and watching, why don't we go around uh, quickly and just tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and maybe we'll start with you, Nat. Yeah, sure. I'm Nat Earl. I work for Decanter Magazine. I'm the awards competition manager, so I run the competitive elements of the Decanter World Wine Awards, Decanter Retail Awards, and Decanter Asia Wine Awards. So I'm in charge of recruiting all the judges and um, making sure they all toe the line. Hi, my name is Ben. We're at Peckham Cellars. I run this together with uh, Luke and Helen, one-year-old, launched three months before a global pandemic. You know, it's been a challenge, but we're still here and we're still going, so we're, we're grateful for that. Awesome. Thanks for hosting us, and really excited to hear more about uh, the crazy year from both of you. Matt. My name's Matt. I'm from Streatham Winehouse. We're a bar much like this, bar shop, depending on what the government uh, kind of... <laughs> deciding at the time, um, based in Streatham, South London. Everything that's going to be tasted tonight is going to be tasted blind. Um, so the first thing in the glass is wine that I've brought to kick us off. Get your nose stuck into it, let's see what you think. I know a little bit about your history, so I'm just going to say it's champagne, <laughs> but I've got no idea what it actually is. <laughs> it's got lovely kind of sort of beeswax, kind of straight off the nose and like real floral kind of orange peel. Yeah, dried fruit. It's definitely got some of those candied, candied qualities. It's, good. it's very kind of Christmassy type of fizz, isn't it? Mm, quite soft, soft mousse, like. I mean, the colors give it, like, giving you a real hint of age. It's quite rich. For people watching, wondering what this bottle is, we, we started to kind of open just the, freshen up our palates with a bit of a kind of Philippe Pacolet, um creme on the Bourgogne. I mean, the Pacolet's got lots of fresh, um, fresh fruit, whereas this is more on the older side. I'm trying to think of a, if I've had a, champagne like this before but I don't I don't think I have unless it's something like a Charles Dufour. I can I, I'll give you I'll give you one hint it's not champagne yeah it feels like maybe a, a warmer climate maybe something new world so if it's not champagne any any thoughts I guess I'd put it I'd put it in sort of Chenin territory you've got this kind of like lovely honeyed aromas you've got the kind of candied fruit a little bit of sweetness you got the colour, I think, which probably leads, leads me a little down that path as well. It's not probably a typical grape yeah. um, that you'd think of. It's quite grippy. It like, feels like, almost like tannin. I'm wondering if there's a tiny bit of extended skin maceration. Or... The only thing that reminds me a little bit of, of, which I don't think it is, is kind of like a Colfondo-y style Italian sparkler, but then it's kind of... It's crossed with like, we tried many of the like the the lower old release rieslings, yeah. but without the acidity. Definitely. So it's kind of got that kind of evolved character to it. So it's in Italy. Okay. So it is Italian. So so whatever it whispered to you, Matt was uh, very on the money. Old Franciacorta, wasn't it? No, not not. It's not Franciacorta. This is a super obscure group grape. Sorry, let me do the grand reveal. So it's actually um, Mike and Laura, who are the partners making this show that actually make this happen that, that turned me on to these wines from, um, 
from Mooney. It's an Arione, um, 2016 Metro Classico from Italy, from northeastern Italy, and it's a um, it, the grape is Durella. So it's a it's a it's an autochthonous grape from Italy. It's kind of known for having kind of medium plus higher higher acidity, mid to high altitude vineyards. The, the wine is from uh, Daniele Piccinin, who's he's a phenomenal vigneron. Um, he's the vice president of Vinature, which is, uh, um, you know, the president is Angelino Molle, who's, you know, one of the kind of godfathers of, of, of orange wine and natural wine in, in Italy. And so just a really staunch philosophy around like their practices in sustainable agriculture, you know, um, you know, really looking at kind of biodiversity in the vineyards, really trying to get away from monoculture. Um, so very much a spontaneous in, uh, fermentation wine, Metodo Classicos, um, really all about kind of great, vibrant uh, vineyards. And, um, uh, and yeah, so... It's a bit of an interesting, interesting curveball to start with, but uh, you know it has all these qualities. It's, it's kind I don't of, think I've ever heard of the grape, let alone yeah, <laughs> it, <laughs> that, calling it blind. But. That, so I think uh, you know I think you all did a did a phenomenal job for uh, for uh, for a tough challenge. As I said, it's a, a unique grape. It's um, but all of the qualities of the wine and things that you you picked up on, I think, are exactly what you'd hope to find in in the Durala. So I say it was a pretty good first. That's yeah, uh, really nice. First pass. Super interesting. All right, so wine number two after a bit of an easy one to start. Uh, so I think we've got another bit of fizz from the looks of things in my glass. And uh, Matt, this is, uh, this is from you. Wow, it's much fizzier than the last wine. Yeah. Lots more acidity, limes and lemons. I also find there's a bit of like yeasty, lazy kind of vibe going on in there. It's so funny now too because of what we were talking about in the last wine. Now I can't get Peter Lauer out of my head. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's got this kind of like celeriac quality that's like underneath it's bright, fizzy, lots of energy, but it has this kind of like savory, yeah, celeriac type of um, vegetal quality underneath all that bright fruit, which to me just like makes me go straight to Peter Lauer, you know, late disgorgement. I think I get like quite a, a really nice like buttered croissant sort yeah. of... It's almost like this kind of like lemon curd thing going on, which is like really, like really intense hit of that. On the palate, it's so, it's so dense. But in like, um, in terms of there's just a really great concentration on the mid palate. So what are you guys thinking? Where are you going? I mean, it's delicious. It's really, like you're saying, it's like got this incredible depth. It's long, really like, almost kind of like nutty, savory finish at the end. Somewhere in my head it's going like Cremant de Jure kind of style. That, that, that's like where my mind went. It's got these kind of like nutty, savoury, like really intense lemon curd vibes. I think it's also got a lot of Chenin characteristics. That acidity, that yeah, slightly yeah. honeyed note, um, kind of white florals. Yeah. So it could be a Cremant de Loire as well. Maybe because it's hard to taste on like next one after. Is it Chardonnay? It is Chardonnay. So is it Champagne? No. Maybe we are in like Tasmania, some sparkling Chardonnay like Jantz or they've got some really fresh wines over there. So Matt, where are we? To be honest with you, I don't know where you'd put this, whether it be old world or new world. Is it, is it UK then? Yeah, it's from the UK. So it won the IWSC. Um, gold medal so yeah so this is a, a wine that 
I've listed for, for quite a long time. I've always loved it because it's kind of, for me, I mean, saying it's like an English Krug is going a little bit far, <laughs> uh, I think. But it's, I mean, I thought I'd bring this because it's quite topical. Um, obviously, we've got all this rubbish that's happening at the moment. We've got Brexit. We've got all the, the craziness of, of 2020. And um, UK is making some fantastic wines. Some have, have been like shocked by the, the quality of um, a lot of English still wines this year. Some of my favorite still whites have been Chardonnay coming from, from the UK. Um, and this, I've always like, I've really, really liked. So I think we've listed it for a year or so. Um, and it's pretty much all gone now, from what I believe, yeah. I've, I've, I've been trying to, trying to um, annoy the supplier um, to see if, if we can get some more, because I just keep on getting emails about it. But this is the Langham Blanc de Blanc 2015 from Dorset. So barrel fermented. Um, love all their wines we do their rosé as well which is kind of very different um a bit more linear but super fresh um this has that kind of that richness that texture it still has that really high acidity that you get with english sparkling wine they're not doing any fining or filtration um so they're trying to kind of they've got a very young winemaker he looks even younger than you ben um but I think they're making some cracking wines. I think like England, it is in all the, the madness of 2020, we do have, like, you have to kind of concentrate on, on the good things. Yeah. I think like English wine, there's so many um, interesting producers, there's so much interesting stuff going on. I mean, even like when I first started in wine like 15 years ago, England was like not a thing at all and you wouldn't see it anywhere. And now you're kind of seeing it in more and more places and I think it's getting I think the days in general of worrying about where wine's from are almost, you know, never been more behind us yeah. in terms of um, people's openness to wines from, from, from different places. But even beyond that, just the credibility of these wines are undeniable, as you can kind of see in this class. So, thank you. All right, so two down, two to go. So Nat, this is this is your wine. So thank you. And um, what can uh, what can you tell us about it before we get our noses stuck into it? I will say that it's perhaps not what you would expect from this grape variety or this particular style. I mean, I usually don't care about colour in wine, but this is gorgeous colour. It's such a nice colour, isn't it? It smells quite Christmassy. It smells like it's got some of that, that kind of like cinnamon, cardamom, like Christmas spices. You said it's not something you typically expect from this grape. Is that because the grape is more famous for being big and burly and? I'd say the grape is more famous for being a little bit less juicy than this. Maybe a little bit more robust. I feel like this is quite ethereal and light and lifted and um, it's really long. I really love the nose. It's got this kind of like really soft elegance, this kind of um, kind of pretty fruit, this kind of pretty floral element, almost like a little bit of kind of plasticine kind of character that, like, you know, that you sometimes get in like, you know, Beaujolais or Gamay, but it's not, it doesn't feel like Gamay. It's got this kind of more bright, pretty profile with any of that kind of savoriness. The only thing that I can think of that I've had recently like this is 
like high elevation garnaches where they're just like or ganache like where it's kind of they're doing it in a really gentle style and it's kind of it looks more like Pinot that you know like the like Danny Landy's wines it kind of has that vibe I don't think that's what it is necessarily but it's got that kind of a kind of a grape that you're used to having like something quite chunky and this has just been like very delicately brought up and it's just suited like yeah. a, an elegant style. On, on that vein, I've had a few, quite a few like Sangioveses recently that have been experimenting with like whole cluster and that kind of thing where you get this like incredibly pretty fruit and like light body. You still get the acid and that lovely prettiness, but you don't get the, the heft. Yeah. I mean, it's really translucent, but then on the palate, like, I mean, I don't know if you got it, but it's quite powerful. Like it's got, it's not a, you know, I really expected this to be like, oh, this is going to be such a nice, elegant, like, ease from champagne to this. I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is going to, like, you know, make you pick up your socks a little bit. Yeah. Everything you're saying is really spot on. It's the, yeah. the tannins seem a little bit dusty, which kind of reminds me of Sangiovese yeah. a little bit. But You hinted heavily, though, at the start, but it is something that's usually, like, massive being done in this kind of, like, very pretty, elegant style. Yeah, but I still with, like, a real backbone to it. Um, it is Italy, okay. yeah, and have actually already said what it is. Sangiovese. Yes. Yeah. From Tuscany. Yes. So I shall remove the sock. It is Tenuta di Carlioni, Il Guercio, 2018. So it's IGT Toscana, um, but it's from. With this particular wine, the vines are at 700 meters altitude in Gaiole, in Chianti. So I think that's where that freshness is coming from. Yeah. Really nice acidity. He's English and he moved to Tuscany like 20 years ago. He was the head winemaker at Riecine for 25 years or something and then um, left in 2016 and went into partnership with Tenuta di Carlione, which is owned by an, an Austrian family. Il Guercio means one-eyed bandit because he's blind in, in one of his eyes and he, he thinks that that gives him a specific perspective on, on winemaking and on life in general. So yeah, I think it's a, just yeah, like you so said, it's just like those wines, like I had a Commando G um, Garnacha the other day which was, I thought it was Pinot, it was like so elegant, so lifted, really, really delicate, and that this has got the same vibe. We're all aware of the modern, like the last 20 years of winemaking, and I think potentially this is Sangiovese how it used to be. It tastes to me like a, a, a wine that might have been made by farmers, like when they just had grapes and they just had barrels and they didn't have anything else. I think it's, um, I think one of the reasons that he can't label it as Chianti is because it has 20% whole bunch. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that maybe it's more harking back to a previous version of of these type of wines. Maybe they should actually be making Sangiovese yeah. with some whole bunch because it works really well. Okay, three wines down, one more blind to go. Ben's gonna bring us home with a little amber awesomeness. Um, alliteration aside, I don't know what it is. Excited to hear about it. 
Ben, maybe give us a couple things to kick us off and, uh, or you know, why you picked the wine, maybe not telling us too much about it. I've had the wine a few times over the years. I wanted to get it on the list uh, here and uh, bought the bottle like pretty much just as lockdown kicked in and then it's been sat in our fridge <laughs> since then. And I, it's too expensive to put on our list uh, here at Peckham Cellars. We're, you know, we're just like, you know, we're just a little wine bar in Peckham. Can't put this on the list here, it's crazy. Um, well, knowing you and your generosity, it's probably, it came 18-11 or something like that, yeah. I'd something imagine. Like Napoleon's coronation, yep. Sold a bottle of that once in my time. Moulin Touche is what I'm, was like my, my first head went. It makes me feel like we're drinking something with a bit of age on it here, but it's got just wonderful brightness and lightness for if it's an aged dessert wine. It's definitely got a ton of life in it. My initial thought went to kind of like a Vinsanto or some, like something that might have been, it's just like a little bit more, would age forever, but it's just, I don't, it almost has kind of a little bit of tannin. I think there's a bit of botrytis, but then it's got really nice acidity, it's really fresh, it's not cloying. I'm kind of thinking maybe like a, a, a sweet Vouvray or a Cal de Chaume or, you know, like a sweet Chenin from the Loire. It has this, this depth but this, and this, this concentration, but it's still so light on its feet. Yeah. Say you've obviously you've both nailed it, so let's move on. And so we're in we're in the Loire Valley, and and where where are we going from there? It it by the color it looks like it looks old on the palate. It has some of these mature characteristics, but it's also really really lifted and, so, and youthful. So I, I mean, well, it's like maybe one of those older, you know, they they kind of like the old Hewitt wines kind of yeah. dry out a little bit with age, and they they. They kind of, they have that almost, like, sucks all the moisture out of your mouth sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the older they get, the kind of, you get like a, even a moulieu will like feel a lot, lot drier if it's got a lot of age on it. Yeah, so I would, I'd say, yeah, I'd say like an old, like a 70s vintage Hewitt. I don't think it's that old. I think maybe mid 90s. Someone has said, all of the right things in different orders. So, so you, you were right on the age, you were right on the producer. Yeah, so what do we got here? So the, the grand reveal. So we've got La Haute Lune, 97 Premier Tree from Domaine Hewitt. Wow. Oh, okay. okay. It's lovely, yeah, thank you Not so bad. much. Yeah. Mm. Great producer, yeah. I'll take a little bit more of that. <laughs> mm. Well, I, I think that was a you know, fantastic little bit of blind tasting, considering it's been, um, I'm sure we're all shaking off a bit of the rust from our absence of uh, 2020 um, impeded blind tasting opportunities. We're going to finish with uh, an extra something that Matt brought. So Matt, why don't you tell us a bit about this and then um, we'll just chat and enjoy it. Because I was bringing a sparkling wine that I couldn't taste before I came, I thought I'd bring a, a backup just in case that was corked. Um, and I tried this wine um, it was recently released, I tried this uh, a couple of weeks ago and really loved it. It's uh, Barlotto, so a producer, Barolo producer, 
um, based in Verduno, which is the most, most northerly of the, the kind of villages um, in Barolo. And one of the best wines that I've had this year was the 2016 Monvigliero, um, which we're actually pouring by the glass at the moment on Coravan. It's not cheap, but it's very, very good. People love it um, who, who work in wine because it's a little bit under the radar, not much of it made, only kind of a handful of producers that make it. And this is kind of one of my favorites. And it's just a, a nice kind of easy drinking, light, smashable red from a region that does not produce those wines. I love it. It's got this kind of like, the kind of like pink peppercorn aromatics that really remind me of like, Almost, they remind me of Bressan a lot, like that flavour, that yeah. smell, like that, it's, yeah, it's gorgeous. I love the wines from Berlato. I think that they just consistently, every bottle that I've had of any variety, any year, there's just so much energy, personality in the wines, there's so much authenticity. Absolutely, I love the way that it's got lots of like really juicy wild strawberry, raspberry fruits, yeah. and then on the palate, it's got quite a assertive grip as well, so it's like not, not messing around, it's definitely present. I think we gotta like address the elephant in the room. Blind tastings out of the way. Like, this year has been fucked, right? Especially for our industry. Not from like wine competitions logistically to be able to execute what you guys have done in decanter. Let alone, you know, persevering in the industry to to you know, both you guys in terms of hospitality, open, closed, tier one, tier two. You know, thank you, Boris. What's it been like? How are you, how how y'all feeling? How are you doing? It, I think for, it just depends where you are. Like Matt and I are both working in wine bars in like where we have like real solid communities. Yeah. We wouldn't be here without the people of Peckham and like everyone buying wine from us online or whatever. Like, you know, we got our bar shut down, and then like two like a week later we started this fledgling online store that was so basic and rudimentary that it was like almost embarrassing <laughs> to think about now. But like. People bought from it and then that made that meant that we could reinvest in it and like we've got it to a position where it is now. And like Matt and the guys at Strong Winehouse have done exactly the same thing. And loads of other sort of like local businesses have done that. You know, what's heartbreaking for me and what's heartbreaking for the industry is what's happening in the central London where people aren't going in, you know, and you have some absolutely world class restaurants that won't like won't come out the other side of this. So I'm, you know, I think I'm personally, I'm extremely grateful for the community where we are and, and like how those people have supported us. But yeah, I have like infinite kind of regret for how it's affected central London and... Communities have come together in the more rural areas, but as you say, in the city that's taken a massive hit. There are obviously still residential places there, but um, they're struggling to, to really um, attract that. And events have taken a massive hit, and being able to run a wine competition was really hard over lockdown, but we managed to do it. Um, we learned a lot in the process, and I think a lot of the things we learned will take on for next year, and actually positive things are, are coming of that. Yeah. I think this is like one of the key things that is good about 2020 is that you have had, so this, there's been like so much knowledge has been put online and for free a lot of the time um, in this year. That, I mean, there's, I've got 
probably about a year's worth of masterclasses that I want to like go back and <laughs> look at in the, the five to ten days I'll have off in January before going back to work. In, in 2020, it feels like a, a good bottle of wine has been the only thing to look forward to at the end of a long day. If you're, also, if you're working at home in a day, oh, gosh. the only way to dis differentiate day and night is to open a bottle of wine, right? I, I mean, I think... <laughs> Other than the sun going down. It, it's true. I mean, in, in, in 2020, I, I've certainly not taken good wine for granted. If anything, it's been the beacon at the end of a, yeah. at the end of a day when there's nothing certain about what's happening from 9 to 5, but at 6 o'clock, I know I'm going to have a great bottle of Marceau, or I'm going to have a great champagne, or I'm going to celebrate a story told by someone that I really care about that I want to support, whether it's their local business or the winery. You know, my hat's off to all of you for the way you've persevered with your own businesses to kind of get to where we are. Thanks so much everyone for the wines that you brought. These were absolutely fantastic. Ben, thank you so much for hosting us in your fine establishment. If you guys find yourself, any, anyone watching or listening finds themselves in Southeast London, definitely check out Peckham Cellars. Thanks so much for everyone coming, coming by. This is a great session and um, great wines and you know, cheers. Thank you. Okay.